years of internet. It's amazing how physically exhausting it can be to do nothing. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I don't give a fuck. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only <laughs> podcast about movies, specifically the film The Killer. The Killer. Not, no, not the most original title. I do. So <laughs> if you want me. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, do you remember, uh, I can't remember which EMAs it was, Okay. which country we were it in. It doesn't matter. We are uh, logistical experts, so to speak, uh-huh. and we were traveling with the, EM, uh, the MTV EMAs, and we were perched up in a booth next to the Killers. Yes. And you remember walking down the hallway and we, uh, what is the Killers leads, uh, lead singer? Oh killers? gosh, I forget. Email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and let us know the Killers name. Brandon Flowers. I remember walking past him and going, that is a handsome man. Yeah. That's an extremely, extremely handsome man. I do remember that. And I can't remember, did I see them perform live? I don't think I did. Uh, I don't know a lot about the killers, and I don't know a lot about the Smiths, which is going to be great for this conversation. It's going to be great. We we are we are rip raring to go. We're we're just going to kill this one. Yeah, yeah, sure. That, that's a good one. <laughs> um, uh, I was I'm extremely excited about this movie. I have seen it uh, three times. Wow, I have seen it three times. Uh, once to show somebody else. Okay. Twice on my own. And 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 I could tell you right now, I'm I would be happy to watch this movie again. Wow. This is not. I'm not suggesting that this is my favorite movie of the year or okay. anything like that or, well, that's the, a- or the greatest movie ever or anything like that, but I found it such an extremely great rewatchable. I was going to say, it's got to be in your top 10. I don't know if it will be, actually. Wait, then why? Okay. You have a real thing with like not understanding why somebody would want to watch something over and over again, even if they are critical of it. No. Because I think your 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 presumption is if you like it, you would watch it over and over again. I know you, like myself, are a very busy individual mm-hmm. with many films that they would like to see. Yep. And therefore, I would assume that, that you would enjoy the thing that you are watching. But I guess enjoyment is mm-hmm. a relative thing if you're using it as an intellectual exercise and wanting to notice different things or also, show people. Also, accessibility is a big, big factor here. This is on streaming on Netflix. You can just fire. Every time I go to Netflix, it's there. It's like, would you like to watch The Killer again? I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Wow, the algorithm has you pegged. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Oh, I, it don't, I don't get a lot of repeat views for Mank, which is also no? on Netflix. Yeah. Well, um, maybe get on that Netflix. Jeez. This is our second David Fincher film on the podcast. We haven't done another David Fincher, have we? Uh, we did Mank. Yeah, we did we, Mank. I don't think we have, we have actually. We haven't done a David Fincher. For, again, a really important figure in the film bro community, in the uh, <laughs> in the intellectual film critics known as the film bros. Should we stop uh, doing this and just do Fight Club now? Just do Fight Club. Yeah. Did you, do, you, do you recall when you saw Fight Club? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh... Actually, I, th- I think I came to Fight Club a little bit late because when did Fight Club drop? Fight Club I remember it was out- Halloween 2000- 1999. Okay, so I didn't see it when it came out. Yeah. I saw it in college like a couple years later. Okay. And uh, yeah, of course, like as any <laughs> friggin' early, late, late teens, early yeah. 20 uh, yeah. dude, I'm like, whoa. You know what, man? The system is really Yeah, weird. it is. Yeah. It's fucked up. And like yeah, masculinity yeah. is like... Both your strength and your weakness. They just want us to buy shit, man. Yeah. They just want us to buy shit. My name, my name yeah. is Robert Paulson. Yeah, and I'm I, I reject your Starbucks existence. Yeah. <laughs> I I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's and look, side note, Fight Club is still a very enjoyable movie. I just think a lot of people learned the wrong lessons from yeah. it. 
including myself when I was younger. And I have since, uh, yeah. you know. I, I can see you wearing the leather jacket, you know, like. Uh, I still wear a leather jacket, soap. but not because of that. Making so <laughs> Making soap. Uh, oh, I did wear a leather trench coat back then, but that's a different movie uh, franchise yeah, yeah, altogether. Yeah. Um, we have talked, uh, I think if you go back to our Mank episode, I believe Izzy from BK Rewind was on that episode. We talked at length about uh, the great... I guess the yeah the great rewatchability that is uh, David Fincher. Um, you know, if you go back to I think it's Tony Zhao's uh, video essay, um, "The Other Way Is Wrong." I think it's called, mm-hmm. which is like details the precision with which David Fincher makes a movie. Um, you know, I don't know why I I do watch Zodiac on repeat uh, as a as a comfort watch. I think that is a very common thing. I love Mindhunters. I'm real <laughs> sad that went away. Yeah, so only two seasons. Of, uh, can I tell you? I I, I my parents. Uh, were asking me to watch a show uh, or for, for a show recommendation. I was at home with them in New Zealand and I said, oh, you should try Mindhunters. And then I uh, I would be working in the kitchen, uh, you know, on my laptop doing something while they were watching the show. And I would just kind of dip my head in and, and see what they were doing. And there was a moment where in Mindhunter where uh, I can't remember the serial killer's name, but describes chopping off someone's head and sure. having sex with the neck yep. of, a, of a corpse. And I was like, what have I done? What did you do? <laughs> what have I done? I wouldn't tell my parents to watch Mindhunter. <laughs> my parents did come up to it and they said that was a really good show. I really liked it. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. And they would they would happily watch season three. Uh, <laughs> Next up, seven. Yeah, seven. No, they they've seen seven. Oh, everyone okay. everyone saw right. seven at the time that it came out, right? Sent ripples through the uh through the um through the mainstream movie going population. True. It was kind of the grislier version of Silence of the Lambs that came mm-hmm, out, the serial mm-hmm. killer thing. Um, I love Panic Room, I love me the game. Uh, I do love Fight Club. I think, you know, Fight Club has hit a zenith point in terms of what it means for culture. It certainly is of his films, one that is specifically denoted by the time and place from which it came from. Yep. Um, Social Network's great. Social Network is amazing. Zodiac, I think we've just talked about it. Mank is a a rare misfire, in my opinion. I still, I still, Mm. when I think about Mank, I don't think I disliked it. Right. So, Have you rewatched it? No. So in your enjoyment factor, must be it high. must, it <laughs> it must be high. Yeah, um, but I didn't dislike it. There's yeah. plenty of films I watch once. I'm like, you know what? That was good. It's interesting because I think Mank was an interesting film in his in his filmography because it's the film that his father wrote, um, yeah. and so it uh, seems to be uh, itching to be the most personal of his stories. Yet I found it oddly a little disconnected and. Um, a little unclear as to what it was trying to say, you know, particularly as someone who's very invested in the history of Orson Welles and, and, you know, what Orson Welles story, particularly around the making of Citizen Kane uh, and William Randolph Hearst uh, meant. Uh, but go back and listen to that episode. It's a great episode. Um, you know, look, uh, and, and then I, I remember seeing Gone Girl in a movie theater on Friday night by myself, and it was a packed house all couples who had decided to take their significant others to see like <laughs> this mystery deal. And, and like, I, I still remember the greatest feeling of it was, which, which was that in the first half of the movie, every female in the audience uh, in heteronormative couples were all like, what a dick when they were thinking about being athletic. Yeah, sure. And then in the second half of that movie, uh, every male in the audience was like, can you, you know, like freaking yep. out about Rosamund Pike's character in that movie. Such a great experience. Such a great theater going experience. And then, of course, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. No, uh, you, 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 uh, G-W-D-D fan? I've seen that movie twice. Yeah. Um, but not also, a fan. I'm not a fan. But also the um, the Karen Owen, Trent Reznor, and Atticus Ross immigrant song that they used for that trailer, he also yeah. did the, the music video for, which is, which is pretty cool. 
Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I think Patrick Williams has done a video about David Finch's music video. Probably. Um, like, you know, Fincher, this is something we'll get into in this in this particular film as well, uh, because I uh, had someone reach out to me talking about like the way brands are de um, deployed in the film. And just thinking about the fact that David Fincher, uh, I think with Revolution, oh, what was the name of his production company? Propaganda Films, uh, yeah. something like that. Uh, Michael Bay was part of it as well. Dominic Sinner. Um, you know, uh, Spike Jones eventually as well, Mark Romanek, I believe. Um, uh, thinking about the fact that he was one of the founders of the best music video company that ever originated in America to the point where they were making, you know, the, the biggest budget music videos um, ever made. Uh, I think the highest grossing budget music video, which is, I believe, someone can fact check me on this because I am just going off the top of the top of my head here, but I believe the highest grossing or highest the most expensive music video ever made was a propaganda music video, and Mark Romanek directed it. It was Scream for Michael Jackson. Um, it used to be. I, I think it still is. I, I think. I, we can double check this. Yeah. I could have sworn a couple years back I heard an art article that was like, oh, this dethroned it, but it was some like artist that I just did not care about. Right. And I, I know that uh, Will Smith's um, Miami might have been a big one as well. Oh, Party in the City with the Heat is on all night and the beaches of the break of dawn? Yeah. Uh, no, the, uh, according to Wikipedia, Scream still is still uh, the number one. Um, it, its cost adjusted for inflation was $13 million. Huh. Uh, David Fincher directed, uh, so the next uh, two, three, the same, oh wait, I don't, I don't quite understand this. <laughs> the next three music videos sure. that are ranked the most expensive made now again is are by madonna all three of them are by madonna die another day express yourself bedtime story uh die another day was directed by tractor express yourself was directed by david fincher mm -hmm. and bedtime story was directed by mark romanek um so you know again part of this milieu of uh commercial filmmaking that has that take that took hold in america um and, you know, the other thing is uh, an incredible, incredible, uh, incredibly precise filmmaker. There is no one who does a dolly move like David Fincher. <laughs> like, I, I obsess about these things. I remember um, reading an interview with um, David Lynch, where David Lynch talked about, like, how to do a dolly move in a film. And his big thing was, like, you put as get your grips to put as much weight on the dolly as possible so that the dolly move is, like, as slow and controlled as it can be. And then when I saw David Fincher do a dolly move, particularly, I think it, Panic Room had artificial dolly moves, yes. but particularly around the social network, it, around Mindhunter as well, there's a way that David Fincher does dolly moves that like is- practical ones. Practical dolly moves that is so precise. Now, he uses a lot of d digital manipulation to do so. Um, I think there's an every frame the painting, uh, not every frame of painting, sorry, um, nerd writer mm -hmm. video essay called um, How David Fincher Hijacks Your Eyes, <laughs> uh, where he talks about the fact that he shoots, uh, he was one of the first people to shoot in four or 6K for a 2K yep. uh, export, where he used that extra resolution to like make sure all those dolly moves are absolutely precise and, at, you know, like every move is absolutely on point. So there's just nobody who does it better. I, I, I mean, I, you know, for me personally, pound for pound, I don't think there is a better director who expresses the language, the machinery of filmmaking as good as David Fincher. Like at, at, at any given moment, if you ask me who handles the camera better than any human being, you know, than any other filmmaker, I, I would probably say David Fincher. 
That's fair. I'm trying to think of another one. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg, like, you know, you think about Spielberg and Saving Private Ryan and that sort of thing, you know, like the way his fluidity with the camera, Scorsese with his like wild camera moves. I think Fincher gets the consistency bonus. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, it's not that anything is, you know, formulaic or boring. It's that he just hits his style and what he does perfect every single time. And it seems to be very well matched for the projects he takes on. And so there's there's something there's like a combo. He gets a combo bonus. I think and you know, now, now infamously he is also being associated with being an extremely difficult film. Not oh, sorry, I rephrase. Not difficult, but it's well documented that he does the most takes and frustrates his actors the most. Well, so difficult. Uh challenging, I think. <laughs> like even in the in the behind the scenes for um for the killer, Fastbender see, you know, Fastbender comes on set and says you know, Fincher is looking for perfection in every take. So that means we've got to do 60 takes of this. Then that's yeah, what I mean, we're doing. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to do perfection of it. And I think if, if you sign on knowing the project that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Then that's it. Then- Ru- I, Ruffalo in the Zodiac commentary, I think talks about it best as well. When he was like, I think he says something along the lines of, I, I, th- we were doing a take and, and Fincher yells cut and, and he's, he swears to on his life that he is going to get fired because <laughs> he was like, I, we're cutting every time, uh, you know, like just after I say a line of dialogue and, and Fincher comes back and is like redoing the take and Ruffalo kind of realizes slowly after take 20, 30 or 40 that Fincher is trying to coordinate every element on set so that they hit as he does the line. Yeah. And so he realizes that Fincher doesn't just have him in his scopes. He kind of has the entire frame in his scopes in terms of like, this light has to hit at this point exactly. This, you know, like extra has to walk behind at this time exactly. And it has to all coordinate with the saying of this line. And it all, you know, like he's working on, you know, every detail in the frame. And right. that's kind of what what makes a Fincher film so precise and so uh, analytical, detached and cold, you might say. But kind of wonderful, you know? It's like a very fancy watch. Yeah. Yeah. But a movie. <laughs> Yeah, but a movie watch. Um, <laughs> you're watching it. Yeah, you're watching it. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I was excited about this because Fincher in, in recent years, I think, um, you know, Dragon Tattoo was a film that he really aimed to, I think the the pitch there from, um, I think it was Amy Pascal. Again, correct me if I'm wrong in this. Um, you know, suggested this could be like a, a, a young... Uh, a grown a franchise for grownups, you know, in the yes. period that, that and and of course it never came to be. They didn't do any follow ups to that movie. Well, Fincher didn't direct. Any I was going to say yes, they did. Yeah, they did do a girl with a spider. Uh, spider. The girl uh, who, who ate the, spiders. The girl yeah, who yeah. spider laid eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spider girl. Uh, spider woman. Uh, yeah. Madam Web. That's Madam, what it yeah, is. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, but it never came to be. But I think again, I think he really. Uh, if I was to you know suggest any psychology of David Fincher, I think the the kind of uh commercial indifference to girl with the dragon tattoo was then met by the incredible success of gone girl and that was fincher basically saying oh you guys don't like uh my my pulpy novel adaptation try this one on for size yeah and man he just knocks it out the park yeah it's so good he's pretty pretty good i was excited to watch this movie um I haven't seen, and I think the last, I mean, obviously the last, the newest one was Mank, but um, I, have I, you seen Love, Six and Robots? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I saw his episode of that or yeah. Love, Death and Robots. Love, Death and Robots. Um, yeah. I saw, you know, obviously the episode, I think he did two episodes of House of Cards. So that was a bit ago. 
Um, he's, you know, he kind of spearheaded the House of Cards. Yeah, he like, definitely yeah. had the vibe. Um, I'm trying to think if there was ever a film of his that like didn't really hit for me. Right. Uh, I'm just going down the Dragon list. Dragon Tattoo is like Dragon my Tattoo least is favorite. yours. But I, but I would, I would 100 rewatch Dragon Tattoo. Any Fincher's least, you know, like least successful things, I would happily rewatch any any. Any day of the week. Uh, I do love the Wallflowers video for Sixth Avenue Heartache. It's a good um, song. Good it's song a great too. song. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say the game is one of my, I, I love the game so much, but I have only watched it once on purpose. We've talked about this yeah. before in the podcast because I I'm, just cherished the 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 sort of watch once reveal, et cetera. And I'm like, I've no. watched it five or six times since we've had that it conversation. It in my mind rent free. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so when this one rolled around, I was obviously very excited. Um, I was a little bit trepidatious only because, honestly, the Netflix of it all, mm -hmm. um, it seems as though, uh, I mean, again, actually, I don't, okay, this is the interesting thing. I don't know why I have this trepidation, because anytime a well-known, beloved, master craftsperson director comes to Netflix, yeah. the films are good. Alfonso Cuaron, Martin Scorsese, David Fincher. The films are good. Yeah. Paul Green, Paul Greengrass, yeah. I think, yeah. But and yet, mm -hmm. the overall brand and value prop of a Netflix movie still has me with a David Fincher movie being like, I don't know, like maybe. You know what? I, you know why I think that is is that I think that Netflix is continually putting out content to the extent that once a film has passed its expiration date, you know, it's sort of intangible expiration date on netflix it gets buried into the algorithm this is why you know you don't you have to seek out roma if you want to watch it again you have to seek out july 22nd if you want to watch it again um you know you have to seek out the irishman if you want to watch it again you have to seek out like mank isn't going to roll around on your front page you have to it's it's so strange you have to seek out things that get launched on the day they get launched yeah like I, I, look i think netflix has enough of my uh taste data yeah to know what I'm into. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim uh, Takes Off came out. The yeah. Animated yeah. Yeah. Thing. I heard it's great. It, I've only watched two episodes of it so far. I'm liking it. Um, but I will say it did not ever serve me that. Right. And I was like, what? And then I was looking. I was like, oh, well, let's look at what's new. Yeah. Not there. Right. And I'm like, OK. And I was talking to Patrick Williams the other night. And he was like, he had the same uh, he had the same thing. And we're like, why is this? We had to go to search and type in Scott Pil Oh, there it is. This dropped What's today. What's weird is like we've had our Scott Pilgrim conversation and it was served up to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think it's perfect over there. Yeah. I don't think the the robots have, have really nailed it down quite yet. Right. Maybe they're just listening to, maybe somewhere our SIM cards got mixed up. Right. And uh, they're listening to the wrong data. Um, but David Fincher's The Killer dropped on Netflix just a couple of weeks ago, probably to not much fanfare. I love... I love this. Is, I cannot, I cannot state how many brownie points this film won me over by the fact it just begins. There's no, uh, there's no logo. There's no company logos at the beginning of it other than the Netflix logo. And then it just begins. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> let, let me, let me begin with what IMDB is saying about no. the film and what it is technically. Okay. And it says after a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. Okay. Blatantly false. Uh, he, after a fateful near miss? Mm -hmm. No, no. He missed. <laughs> what, what, what? So sorry. After a fateful near miss. After a fateful near miss. Okay. He missed. That was the thing. It was not a near miss. 
A near miss is when you hit something, almost. A miss is when you miss something. Okay. Anyway, that's just IMDb. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Silly. That's nothing against the movie. Yeah. I'm just uh, bad on you. Three out of ten, IMDb. Okay. Um, <laughs> they're keeping score. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as the beginning of this movie is concerned, I gotta tell you, I was thrown on the back foot mm-hmm. by this movie's beginning. The, the title. The title credits. The title sequence made it feel like all of my worst Netflix fears were going to come true. It is it is very rapid. It's very quick. And uh, not good. Like it, I, I it it felt for a man who we we've just defined as like the the the, the Swiss watch of directors. I was looking at this intro like and also one of the greatest title sequence directors of I all know. time. Well or you know has some of the greatest title I know. sequences in And his so films. when I was watching it I was like uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, someone got Netflix in my Fincher, and right. I don't know if this is going to be a flavor that I enjoyed. Now, you're right. It didn't. There was no like. It's so quick. Yeah, it's quick. Yeah. But also, <laughs> the, after watching the film, the title sequence, it had to on purpose, unless Netflix just really wanted that for audience retention or some mm-hmm. shit, like did not fit the rest of the movie. I mean, it's kind of a funny title sequence because it's basically a series of murders. Um, you know, it's kind of, but it looks very video gameish. I would expect that it was done in Unreal Engine, you know, which he's, you know, which he's like really uh, used to an extent on Love, Death and Robots. Yep. Um, but it's quite amusing uh, because it's a series of like how to in murders, you know, like there's a snake at one point that he unfurls that he, that what, well, and I'm presuming it's the killer himself. Um, but in a sort of cartoonish way with this kind of like Venetian blind effect. Um, and it's a series of them really, really quick. It, yeah. I, I think it's funny more than anything. Oh, I thought it felt like a cheap James Bond rated R knockoff. And right. I was like, what the fuck right. is this? Right. And then when the movie starts, yeah, I'm like, wait, is it safe? Yeah. What is it safe to go back where in? Where can we? Oh, it's okay. It's yeah. slow. It's methodical. <laughs> There's a lot of repetition. Yeah. Okay, I'm in it. Okay. And it did. It really, the beginning of this movie bucked me fairly hard. Right. Um, especially for the for the rest of the tone and pacing and uh uh, uh style that the rest of this movie inhabits. It was yeah. just it felt like a real odd. It it did. It felt like we got some Netflix in our fincher. I, I I can't picture another reason why that open is there, other than audience retention, high octane, trick him into thinking this is going to be fucking action. I mean, again, you know, uh, you know, the, one of the greatest title sequences ever made is in the movie Seven. And, oh yeah, and, and that's what he's known for. Panic Room, I absolutely love. Game is a famous one as well. Fight Club, incredible title sequence. Um, I think for me, the 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 interesting one is the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo title sequence, because that is one that I've poured over in, in a lot of detail, examined in a lot of detail. We have referenced it in in like several things. Pitch, yeah. in several pitch meetings. We have referenced the the title sequence for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It is one of the most out of place title sequences in the history of movies, which is that it is like a it has got nothing to do with what that movie is, and it does not. Even from like a scene to scene, the the preamble scene of the sequence of that movie, which is a, uh, I think it's Max von Sydow, someone like looking over some photographs very quietly. Then it cuts to this like immigrant song, uh, Karen O and Trent Reznor, mm-hmm. kind of like CGI, liquid black, inky, 
computers as like um, H.R. Geiger kind of imagery and then goes back to like a really slow methodical movie. And it's like, whoa, what what just happened there? I don't, but- but, For whatever reason in that particular instance, I don't remember the tone shift. Like it felt, it still felt like a complete part of that movie, even though it felt like a different pacing. Yeah. This felt like the beginning of like- Spy versus Red Spy. Notice Two or some <laughs> shit. Like, like I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? I, you know, on uh, I think on first viewing, it kind of happened so quickly that I was like, it, it was, it was, it was there and gone so quickly that it didn't didn't yeah. even register for me. On second viewing, I found it kind of funny because like now I know who this character is sure. and what the character finds amusing. Then you know, like the little details of what that sequence are, kind of. Made me laugh a little. Maybe bit I'll more. go back and, and watch it <laughs> the opening again. Maybe it'll hit better that time. But I was, I was, I was very confused. But then we got to talk about the first twenty minutes of this movie. Sure. Which is, uh, you know, I, I think the surprising thing is the movie is dominated by voiceover, mm-hmm. and uh, right from the beginning, in fact, very little happens for twenty minutes in this movie except for the killer, Michael Fassbender's character, explaining both his philosophy and his approach to why he does what he does and the methodical approach of what, of, of how he does what he does. And I can see, you know, like I I was, you know, on my watches, uh, I found the first one going, wow, this is a lot of voiceover. We're really, we're still, we're still here. We're still doing this. And then the first shot happens and you're like, whoa, I, I can kind of see why the buildup was there, uh, in order to get us to this moment. Um, but I was also concerned, like, what, what does another viewer think of this? So my, my, uh, uh, my second viewer was sitting my, my wife down to watch the movie. And I was like, kind of just watching her to go, will she get through this 20 minutes? Like what's going to happen for this 20 minutes for her? And she was like, at the end of it, she was like, this is really good. I'm like, she was like, I'm really kind of in this person's headspace right now. And she was like, I, I think someone, um, uh, Paul on Twitter commented to me today that his wife was watching and was going, anybody who does that much yoga and that yo- uh, yoga that well clearly does give a fuck. <laughs> Which I, you know, but like, I think there's this awe to the fact that Michael Fassbender is such a like specimen of a human being sure. and like his, his like precision and craft kind of mirrors our fetishization, fetishization of David Fincher. You know, like, I think there's a lot of, like, for me. It's a good pairing. Yeah, it's a a sort of mirror of, like, and so when, you know, this idea, I think I've heard a couple of takes this week that the film mirrors Fincher's obsessive approach to filmmaking, which is what the character does, and this idea that he has to reconcile a miss, um, you know, as, you know, which we could maybe attribute to Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. We could maybe attribute it to- Was Girl with a Dragon Tattoo technically a miss, though? It probably made a lot of money, but the fact that there wasn't, like, a rush to- But he didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Or, well, the fact that Mank, you know, I don't think- Yeah, maybe that is. Yeah. But, you know, like, the fact that the movie is reconciling, uh, ostensibly, a person who considers themselves, a a person who is an artist- but considers themselves pure logistics. Well, and, a perfectionist. Yeah. That then is no is not perfect. And yeah. then that really fucking bugs them. And it has to like and they have to like deal with the 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 consequences of their actions. I, you know, look, the first 20 minutes I was hooked. The remainder of the movie, I absolutely adored this movie. I just I think it's such a barn burner of a movie. Like it's so much fun to watch. It's so quick to go. And then I think, you know. We've talked about this on the podcast for morality clause, all that sort of stuff that I have about violence in cinema. I think the fact that this film really acknowledges that 
or you know, wants you to be aware that this character is a terrible person, but this is the world we're going to wallow in, kind of allows you to kind of absorb what his circumstances of morality might be in a way that is really fun. It's like, I found the movie really, really fun to watch. And then I made it, for me, the thing that I started questioning is like, okay, why is it I find this such a, like a perfect encapsulation of like how transcendent and subversive movies can be about like people who are awful versus John Wick, which I tend to find, you know, like wears me down over time, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it doesn't quite work for me. Uh, ostensibly it's, an, you know, these are both assassin movies, but there's a kind of existential dread or existential quality to this film that is a little bit more fascinating to me than a John Wick. I mean, it's more, this is more of a introspective movie into a character. Yeah. Um, John Wick is obviously far more action and, and, and really, and really once we get past dead wife, dog gift, dead dog, spoilers yeah. for John Wick one, um, that's all like kind of John Wick is other than the boogeyman for bad people. Yeah. Like, which again is fine. Yeah. Um, I think so. I don't know if listeners can tell by my tone thus far of this that like I was not as enamored with this film as as Shahir, I believe you were. Mm -hmm. This is not to say I think this is a bad movie. I think this is a good movie that did not click with me. Okay. Um I you can't argue the tone and tenor in which this thing is moving at. It is a deep character piece about a incredibly flawed individual. Uh it, it it almost works as a mental deconstruction of an action film. Yeah. Like, even though there is a little bit of action, not a yeah. not a great deal, and I wasn't looking for any more, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, but <sighs> the deployment of action is really precise again. It's yeah. like, you know, like really well considered. But I also found myself, and I think it, it actually is having this discussion. I think all the voiceover, despite being interesting, introspective lines, some funny, some witty, some cringy. Mm -hmm. um, I think overall it wore me down in a in an interesting way. Again, not enough to like have it ruin the experience of me, but I could I found myself not being able to get behind this movie. Like I wanted to champion my view. I wanted to be like, haha, this is amazing. This is yeah. fucking great. Yeah. And I I've not thought about it once since I, I wrote a few notes and I, I went over the thing, but like it hasn't invaded my mind at all. Right. Um it hasn't mind hunted it, if you will. Yeah. Um and I don't know. I'm I'm curious as we keep going down the rabbit hole of the killer as to if we can figure out sort of why that is. Cause I don't even know everything there seems like it would be something that would resonate with me yeah. and an older me too. This feels like, and it's very, it makes a total amount of sense. This feels like an older man's fight club. Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's something to the, the cut. There is a, there is a certainly an opportunity for Halloween next year, for a lot of dudes to be walking around with bucket hats and a McDonald's bag, you know, like taking the wrong, taking the identity of this character well, in, in the wrong way. Maybe. <laughs> but I, I think, okay. But I, now I'll, I'll just reverse a little bit. Yeah. I don't think this movie has the certain special sauce, if you will, that Fight Club has to make a Tyler Durden dress up. I don't think anyone's going to be dressing up with this guy for. I, don't, I mean, I, I, I am seeing a lot of like, 
fetishization of this character uh, online. And I, like the bucket hat for one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, this was not, there was something about this and maybe it was that it overall was pure precision yeah. that lulled me into a rhythm that just did, I didn't find riveting. Like, cause once it was perfect continually from a timing perspective or, or, or even a, a execution perspective. Yeah. I, I, I just sort of felt like I knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't, yeah. it's a lot of small things I think that didn't connect for me, but it, it, but all of those small things are not detriments to the movie. There's something of the whole that just didn't resonate on my side of things. Again, going through the sort of, I liked, what was it five chapters? Something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I liked the structure. Yeah. Uh, and I liked that every every structure had sort of I won't say a goal, but a, a person he had to deal with. Yeah. The ne- the the screenplay was always moving forward yeah. from one thing to the next. You know, unlike when we're what I keep I'm gonna keep ragging on the creator for a long time, even though I like I want you guys to see the movie, but like in yeah. the creator is divided up into chapters, and we we made a note in that movie that we were like we don't understand why we've gone from this chapter to this chapter. Yep. Whereas this is a really good example of like, you went from this chapter and was like, okay, he yep. solved that problem, Great. which has created this next problem that he is now going to have to go a solve. A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yes. Chapters make sense here. They do not make sense in the creator. <laughs> uh, I would say, don't see the creator. I mean, it's there. If yeah. you want something different in sci-fi that barely works, uh, yeah. then go for it. Um, <laughs> I will say, this is the other thing. Uh, I, while I, I'm not thinking about either the creator really or this film since, yeah. I feel like I'm more interested in dissecting the why with this film because I see the excellence on the screen. Yeah. And I, I and this is, I'll just ask this right now for to our audience. Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Obviously, if you love this movie, sure, I'd love to hear why, but I'm more, I, I, I want to see if there's anyone out there that kind of is hitting it with me because I think I'm in the minority. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious if anyone has any insight as to why this might be, because I really went in, I, a title sequence that doesn't hit me is not enough to buck me off an entire movie. Yeah. And I, I, I don't feel like I ever kind of got my balance back <laughs> as I was watching. It, I, just that, to, well, I mean, I'm curious, your journey through the first 20 minutes then. Through so the first hit. I, I really, I really did enjoy being in that person's head. Yeah. And then after the miss, which because of the buildup, and again, not mm. just because you expect something does not mean it's not the right move to make in a movie. I don't, don't need to be constantly surprised. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was like, oh, he's going to fuck it up. And then they have to fix it. But since I kind of felt like I knew that, Staying in those moments while enjoyable on one hand after maybe like 15 minutes or like whatever. I was like, all right, can we just please miss this target now so we can get the movie started? Like yeah. I was I was yeah. I, I I wanted not a faster pace, just a f- faster occurrences, because I feel like I the more we languished in the killer's character. This sounds strange. The less I gave a shit about him. Mm hmm. It's it's like when you it's it, it every every major uh, dialogue or, or narration in this movie felt like it overstayed its welcome by like a minute or two for me, hmm. and I was like, if it was just a little bit, because I went from oh this is interesting oh this guy's really full of himself oh he's got a really sort of like code yep okay hmm. yep oh he's gonna go into a diatribe again oh a Popeye quote hmm. okay. And like, I just, I'd always, I'd start high and I'm like, Ooh, this is interesting. Funny line. Da, da, da. And it would, it would just grade down, even though I, 
again, kind of knew what was coming. Yeah. And that's not, I hate saying that. That's not bad. I don't mind that I know what's coming. It's, I guess, if I enjoy the road getting there, or if I think the length of that road is is enough to justify, or as long or as little to justify my knowing. I, you know, the, the thing that caught me into this journey is I, I didn't care about him per se. Yeah. But I was always in admiration and i want to preface this as like not ad go on i'm not i'm not advocating for this character at all but i love movies uh, you know i we've talked about it i love competency porn i love competency porn and i love watching people who are really good at their jobs be really good at their jobs and and i love in this film in particular you know like we are given a window into a world that is entirely about precision, about decision-making that is really sharp and focused. And we are never quite sure what steps he, are gonna, he is gonna take. And whenever he does something that surprised me, I was always, re- like, again, he, taking the the uh, taking the pa- um, the bread off his Egg McMuffin and eating and going, you know, McDonald's is a great place for uh, 10 grams of protein. And you realize, and then as the movie continues, you realize he consumes food as efficiently as he talks about every, you know, as he does yoga, he's only, the, he doesn't care about um, taste or pleasure or anything. All he cares about is the nutritional value. And I, I love those little details. And then like when he says that line um, to everyone who believes in the inherent goodness of people based on what exactly you get a sense of like, Oh, that is the moral compass with which this guy lives, which is that, you know, he even, he even spells the metrics out like in exact detail. He says, uh, every second, 1.8 people die, and within that same second, 4.2 people are born. Nothing I do will affect those metrics. Yeah. And, so, you know, like, that is the the code. And it is it is like detail, precision in every aspect. That's why he wears the clothes he has. That's why he checks the battery on his, uh, on his scooter. That's why he's got an escape plan, which involves... Um, you know, going to the seedy little bathroom and shaving off all the fibers off his bo- off his face, you know, to 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 make sure that nothing it can can uh, can be traced back to him. He's like every you know he flies coach everywhere he goes. He he sees someone with these strange socks and he decides to detour his entire trip and like sits in a sits down in his chair after he's put a glass by the door. You know, just in case anyone's going to come in, everything about him, I was like, I'm playing catch up with everything he's doing. And I think, I think this goes into my length of the road thing for me. Like, saying one thing about the birth death rate is is one thing. Then going into the protein thing, then going into this thing. And I'm like, it comes, it it got to the point where it it felt like you were at, the party and you're cornered with the person who just wants to keep telling you fun facts about nihilism. And I'm just like, God, nihilism is so fucking boring. Like, you think this is the Tyler Durden who's like, who's gotten a job? This is this is this is Tyler Durden. If Tyler Durden was Colin Robinson from What We Do in the Shadows, just just be clear, Tyler Durden or Durden? Durden. D U R D. Tyler Durden. 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 How did you say it? Durden. 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 Are you saying a T or a D? I'm saying it from New England, kid. Uh, but are you saying a T or a D? Dur- D. D. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying a T. I don't Tyler know why. Durden. 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 <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. My point is, I liked my point. He's the Tyler Durden of 
he's if, if he's Tyler Durden played by Colin Robinson for what we do in the shadows. Uh, which is an energy vampire. Okay, yeah. <laughs> which is basically someone who'll come okay, in okay. and just start talking to him. You know, um, if we were talking about the film grade this was on, it's interesting <laughs> because there was a shot they only had so many reels of this one it, because normally Fincher shoots yeah. on this. And you're like, you, and you find it interesting until you're like, oh God, this, this is, is going to keep going. Keep going. And, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on this movie. I want people to watch this movie. I think it is an interesting, I think it's an interesting film to watch. And Shahir, like you called out, it is competency porn to the upteenth degree. Yeah. Uh, and so if that is your kink, you will get your rocks oh, man, off. I got my rocks off so, so much during this but movie. So much so that you brought your wife to the second show. Oh, I was like, you got to see this. You got to see this. <laughs> That's love. Um, but like, I guess maybe I'm, I, I'm not that I, 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 I wanted some, I wanted something else, even though what I was seeing was technically excellent. You know, the the other film that it reminded me of um, was Steven Soderbergh's movie Haywire. I don't know if you ever saw that with Gina oh, Carano. No. Which also had Michael Fassbender getting the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> and Channing Tatum and Ewan McGregor and Antonio. Basically, all these great leading men get the shit kicked out of them by Gina Carano. <laughs> um, and, and there's a thing in that movie where you can see what's on display, especially from a filmmaker like Soderbergh, who's coming off Traffic and Aaron Brockovich and a bunch of other movies like that. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe even coming off Che. I can't remember if this is before or after Che. Where the movie is an exercise. You know, like the movie is uh, a stretching of a muscle that hasn't been stretched in a little bit. You know, like Fincher is coming off Mank, which is this sort of Very uh, different. diatribe about the intermingling of politics and art. And this is like a pure, straight up revenge fantasy, but kind of, again, through the prism of the way Fincher does that. And there's a kind of feeling of it being an exercise. Um, and it, but it's, but it's a really sharp one. And one that I, you know, I, I really enjoyed Haywire as well, because it's like, oh, you give a guy who's so great at like character building the opportunity to do fight sequences and he, <laughs> and he, you know, applies a precision that is unheralded in those fight sequences. I actually found, um, there's a big key fight sequence in the middle of this movie, uh, where he's taking on the Floridian. I yep. think it is. Yeah. Uh, who is a New Zealander, by the way, I, <gasps> I, I heard the accent when he says, is that the Dominican? I was like, is that a Kiwi? And it was. Oh, he says, you know, he says the, uh, the, uh, the, the Dominican Republican. No, no, the, 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 he says, he, he says it in a strange joke. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, in the middle of, I think he's just gotten, uh, yeah. I think he's like, is this the Dominican Republican? Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's just gotten a stake up his butt. Uh, it was in his thigh. It yeah. was in his side. Was it in his thigh? Yeah. yeah. So, so when we, Jamie and I were watching it, we're like, did he just, and he rolled over and he pulls it out of his side. Right. right. We're like, oh, okay. There, there's a sequence though where he's like, he, he's walking and he's in the light and he checks his crotch and there's blood in his crotch. Right, yeah. Um, but at, at any rate, that is a, that is a New Zealander. Also from Wellington. I did look him up afterwards. Um, uh, you say hi. You looked yeah, him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> My Rolodex of New Zealanders. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I found that fight sequence, um, you know, it's, it's all in the dark. It is very messy. It, it also, you know, it also reminded me of Quentin, Quentin Tarantino did Kill Bill. You know, when Quentin Tarantino did Kill Bill, it was like, here's a guy who's really good at talking sequences, doing a fight sequence. And it's like, he's going to like really stretch this out and tell a story in an interesting way. And I, and I, I, again, I think it's not as strong as Haywire, but I, but I did love Fincher's take on it. 
And I loved, unlike John Wick, for example, that this was one among many different approaches the film had. Because later on, for example, we see him basically execute a perfect plan to, uh, is it Charles per, uh, Charles Purnell? Uh, yeah, Charles per Parnell, you know, the lawyer, Hodges. Wait, that was first. Yeah, 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 early on, yeah, earlier on, yeah. He, he, he executes kind of a perfect plan to take these two people. My favorite chapter. Yeah, it's really good. And then, and then, you know, later on yeah, with Tilda Swinton, it's a talky, you know, it's like a conversation chapter between two people. And I, I, so what I liked is that not every sequence was, the the sort of battle royale that that sequence was there was like a a real um i guess variation at everything which again that was the big thing about john wick that like just wore me down it was like every scene is the same thing i hear that every time over and yeah. i was like nah, I'm, a I'm thousand out. percent yeah i uh it's funny this this movie is the equivalent. Have you ever played the Hitman games? I, I have played them, yeah. So they've gotten as far as, I, I've fallen off, however, I do know some people that still play them and they have gotten intricate. And, yeah. and it's not, thankfully, just like run and gun doing yeah. whatever. It's like you do plans like they do in the fifth act where you <laughs> join the gym that your yeah. mark is going to so yeah. you can get into the thing and bump into the janitor to get the key card swipe. But like they, like it's hit, it, Hitman's a really good analogy yeah. for what this movie is. Um, which I, I really, I think... And it's funny because I enjoy the Hitman games and I enjoy the process and the precision of not just full combat. Yeah. And and you're right. Every chapter feels like a different muscle of skill is being shown from the character and in Fincher's portrayal of the character. Yeah. My favorite was two, uh, chapter two with the lawyer. With the with the the, the, the storage the, unit. The storage unit and the bucket the, and the, the and the, the, the recycling bin yep. and, and and like even like how do I count down the door, you know, like one yep. one thousand all all the nail gun stuff. any 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 the fact that he fucks up the the uh, the blood volume level of someone whose lungs have been punctured. Yeah. You know, like just all uh, and, and it also has one of the most interesting things. Which is that um, the secretary, mm -hmm. uh, Dolores, I think played by Carrie O'Malley, um, you know, says to him, look, I know what's about to happen here and I know what's going to happen. And she's taking a bunch of Xanax to kind of like calm herself down. But she's like, but you can't disappear me. My children need my uh, my life insurance. Uh, so you can't do this to me. And you can see that he's trying to figure out, you know, like with all the philosophy that he has given us about his you know, worldview, which is like, I don't give a fuck what is in it for me. He has something in him, which is, which says, okay, can I uh, give her what she wants after I take what I want out of this? And he does. So this is, this is the point where I will say that the thing that interested me once the film was over, we keep talking about how competent he is, how good he is at this fucking job is murdering people. Yeah. He's actually not as good as he thinks he is. Hmm. He does small things that go against his bullshit diatribe 20 minute internal monologue code a lot. Okay. And now granted, he finds ways to sort of square it with himself. Yeah. But he absolutely does still fuck up. Like everything hmm. is a bit of a fuck up. Right. So the miss is yeah. a fuck up. Yeah. Really having empathy in his level, in his level of how he thinks he should live his life or how he believes he does is him fucking up, even though he does give her what she wants. I think but the fuck up is that he expected Charles Parnell's character to be able to like 
a bargain with them. But he fucked but he, up. He kills him right away. Yeah, but he and he fucks up his little sort of I don't give a fuck moral code because yeah. he does give a fuck and we see that. So I, I think that weighs against him. I think I, I don't the, think that is that causes him any problems. I think there's a no in the moment. No, I think that there that this movie is trying to say something. Yeah. And, and the, I think it's honestly the most interesting part is that people who act perfect and think they're perfect are not perfect and are constantly dealing with the fact that they are not perfect. He he said, but he in that opening 20 minute monologue, he also says that he says, I am not exceptional. I am just uh, able to plot out at least 12 reasons why this should not work. But here's the thing. That's the, per it still plays to my point. Someone like that doesn't have to think they're exceptional. They just need to think that they're perfect and good at what they do. And he's like, good at what he does. Like he's like, but he keeps, but he keeps breaking his own narrated. So then the third thing uh, was what in the, in the fighting Florida man. Yeah. I mean, technically fighting Florida man at all is a big fuck up. If, if we're going, well, if, let's talk about what his overall mission is here. Sure. So he, uh, after the first miss of the, this high profile Parisian business or politics, we don't know exact, we don't know the details. I love like, I love the sort of rear window of that sequence where you're kind of having to like, you're peering in and you know, like uh, the, the important man who is into very vanilla Dom work. Yeah. Whatever, whatever he's into. And I, you know, like Fincher has this great quote, I think it's in Zodiac or in some other movie, they do a behind the scenes with him. And he's like, I think every, I think people are perverts. And, you know, he's like, at least that's what I've maintained in my career. And it's gotten to me where I am today. And it's like that opening sequence when like, you know, they start playing, he, he's listening to music and he's listening to the Smiths and he, they do this like great diegetic, uh, the, when we see what he is seeing, we listen to the Smiths the way he's seeing, mm -hmm. then we cut back to him and then it's diegetic yeah. again, you know, like, and, 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 and it's like, you're, you're, you can see Fincher's like, here you go, you fucking perverts, you know, like watch this. And then, and then he kind of cut, he undercuts it at every moment, which I think is fucking great. Um, and, and I think the thing is though, is that, so he, he makes the miss. Mm -hmm. He decides he's not going to try and square it away. He goes home and, and then because he just delays his home trip by a day, he realizes that his partner has been attacked in a pretty horrendous way. And he is, he says to his partner's brother, what has happened here will not be permitted to happen again. And so his mission from this point forth, including kill, kill, killing Florida man, is I will not permit anything like this to happen again. But even and, that is a mistake because all he's doing is killing the two people that went after But he him. also kills the lawyer who, who contracted him and then goes after the client. Sure. So he's made, he is, and, and, and I think what's interesting here is that the accomplishment of his mission, and there's a couple of really interesting steps that he takes. One is, uh, at the beginning of the movie, he says the, uh, he's got this line, which is that the, the many are always exploited by the few. Make sure under no circumstances that you are part of the many, that you are one of the few. Right. But that is, this is the interesting thing about this character is that that's completely at odds with his other theory of I am not exceptional because he doesn't want to be and he doesn't think he is in the many. He's in the few, which would make you exceptional. Like, the, like all of his bullshit narration. I'm not saying it's bad narration. Yeah. I'm saying it's proving how flawed entirely his logic is. Okay. I, I can see that as yeah. well, because like there's a point at which he says, uh, um, uh, how does not giving a fuck going for you right now? He's waiting outside. <laughs> yeah. I think it's he's waiting outside Florida man's house or he's waiting outside uh, 
maybe a, 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 a client or something like that. And he's like, here I am not giving a fuck. How's that working out for you? Yeah. You know? Um, but I think he has, and that, and that's what I think is the interesting detail about this film, which is like, unlike the John, you know, I'm not trying to rag on John Wick, but I'm just using it a comparison point here from here on in is that he consciously makes a choice through this film to end his career. And like he cashes out at the end of the movie, he eliminates every factor that would be an impediment to him continuing his life as it is right now and bringing safety to his life as he knows it and cashes out. And at the very end of the movie, the last line of the movie is, I am one of the many. Sure. You know? That means he was one of the few, which means he was exceptional. But, 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 but hold on. This is, I think you just nailed why this movie didn't resonate with me. Okay. It actually has to do with uh, his partner who gets uh, mm. the shit kicked out of her by the two yeah, assassins. Probably worse. Um, okay. John Wick, one mm. through four, over time has lost emotional resonance for me. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed them as action spectacles, but one and two, act one, I really do feel like is an emotional ride. Two is sort of the aftershock. Three is action. Four is like an encore of just whatever. But I'm not like, I don't emotionally give a fuck about John Wick by the time we get to three and four. One right. and two, I, I really did. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a choice by the filmmakers, except, sure. you know. Um, so here, and it's because I understood the connections in John Wick's life okay. and the importance of those connections based on what the movie shows us. Both of these movies do a, uh, what I, I'm going to shorthand this, knowing this is not entirely correct. A fridging, mm -hmm. a, 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 an attack on a partner yep, sure. resulting in death or something horrible. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which, you know, that trope has its own issues here though, because the focus is all on the internal ideal of the killer of, of my, uh, uh, of Michael Fassbender's character. And he never mentions once like not never in his dialogue or his monologue in his head. Does he mention his life or his partner mm -hmm. that when that comes around, I'm like, wait, what you, you, what? And then I'm like, well, this like, even though it, and the way that she handles it, you can't tell if it's because she's afraid or like in love with them or whatever. She's like, I didn't say, I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything like, and I'm like, so everything is now just about whatever this dude is feeling. And I don't even know truly how he feels about this person that I'm supposed to care about. Is it because he's was angry because he didn't do it perfect? Is it because he got angry? This person got hurt. Like, and then like, so I, I think I realized now that the reason I didn't really connect with this movie is in addition to kind of realizing what was going to happen at nearly every turn other than like, Ooh, how do the puzzle pieces of this hitman level work together? Yeah. Um, I didn't care about this journey because this character didn't feel like not, it's not that it didn't feel real. There was no emotional through line. There was just the box checked of a yeah. loved one uh, it, 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 wrong. So now I have to write yeah. it. He's he's on a vengeance quest, and then but in the in this framework of this story, the vengeance quest is like getting protein from McDonald's. Yes, which is that it is it is a it is you know he says to the brother, 
what has happened here, I can't, will, will not be, and he says it very, like, I, yep. I love the phrasing of this, will not be permitted to happen again. And I think that, I think mm. that's it. I think the very nature of what this movie is trying to show mm. is actually omitting the reasons why I would care about a movie like this existing, but you a know story what, like this but, existing. But, but you know what I like about that is that I'm very cynical about the Christopher Nolan fridging, the Deadpool fridging, the John Wick kind of fridging. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie is very like, okay, it's just a thing that is a, that is driving his the what we're going to watch for the rest of this movie and he still makes interesting choices towards a goal that he believes and at the end of it you know i do think he is not necessarily unreliable but you know there is a sort of delusion about himself that is really interesting and he but he's in his monologue calls it out himself which i kind of like as well and i think i enjoy the fact that it is very blunt about what this is, you know, like it is like, okay, you've, you've affected my, you've affected my home life, you know, and, and I am going to therefore go on this quest. And he is like unemotional about it. He doesn't like, he doesn't give grand speeches. Like even when he gets to Tilda Swinton's character, I think there's a really interesting moment there. Uh, she's got this again, great. I, I love the sequence again because it's not like Where she tells the joke from uh, the crown. Is that is that a joke from the crown? I believe so. Okay. Like oh, I think verbatim Jamie called it out in emails and only we were probably okay. using email confirm right. wrong. Um I I hadn't heard the joke before, but I, I think I've heard some variation of it. What I loved was when she said, um, you know, knowing that this moment was gonna be coming for so long and anticipating that it was gonna happen, but believing it wasn't, I really wish I'd had more ice cream. You know, like and she's like contemplate and he's looking at her going, like, this is a woman who has does indulge in like good things. She's at this restaurant by herself. Drinking what is a, a bunch of whiskey. Drinking a bunch of whiskey. She has a bottle at the bar, you know, and he's, and I think he's kind of looking at her wondering, this is her flaw, but also maybe I could be that person. Maybe I should indulge in these things. And the, you know, the last scene of the movie, he makes a coffee with like a lemon twist and sits down, you know, like, it, and I, I like the next that, to the woman we know nothing about, but yeah, I, we don't know anything about her. We, we know about as much of about as much about her as we do in most of these films. And, and I and think, there's, there's, and I think there's no pretension to that. It's just like, this is what it is. I think, so this is the interesting, and I, I'm not going to say which is worse. I'm going to say the one that didn't connect with me. Right. I think there's far more pretension in the way that it is portrayed here. Not that it is worse. Right. It's like, what, what's, this is not me asking you. This is sort of a, a general question. I'm sort of rhetorical. asking myself. Yeah, yeah, rhetorical. What is worse? The, pre the presentation of the way that the, an action is moved forward that has some trite emotional reasoning or th that exact same thing with no emotional reasoning whatsoever shown on screen? I don't know, yeah. but I do know that the totality of a whole, despite the fact this watch was so goddamn perfect, yeah. I can't say that I had like an awesome time where I super enjoyed myself so, again. I know it's rhetorical, but for me, yeah. this worked. Right. Like this, Good. this hundred percent worked. I, I, and, I, and, and I feel like for a lot of people it yeah. does because I, what I'll say about the other method, the yeah. John Wick method is it gets fucking old fast. And it's also in, in the John Wick case, there's a kind of revel, not a revelation, but there's like a, we didn't really care about that thing. What we really care about is the action here. Well, so I, see, it's funny. I would argue that th that's what the filmmakers thought, yeah. and and maybe the general audience. For me personally, I did care about it. The the intricacies. You care about the dog. I, <laughs> I I care about all dogs, but like in yeah. that movie in particular, it's actually weirdly less about the dog and even about the wife. It's you can all 
anyone who's experienced loss can relate to the ways that you deal with it. Right. And many times you sort of put it onto another thing that you can put energy into, whether it's your job or a hobby or a pet or another person. And that's how you sort of cope. And then to have that also taken away from you is something I feel like is a really strong emotional core for a character to go through to do extreme acts of violence. Yeah. So I get that. Yeah. And I think the John Wick franchise lost its way and I enjoy it on just a spectacle level, no yeah. longer an emotional one. Yeah. Um, this one, again, this is it's borderline perfection point. And, and the, the most interesting parts that I found were that he does make mistakes along the way. I've talked about the three for the four. The fourth mistake with Tilda Swinton is the even just sitting down and talking to her, which she recognizes. She recognizes. She's like, this is quite a risk you've taken here. Um, to sit down like you could you could shoot me and and you'd probably get away and in, but here you are yeah and in fact the first time in all of these chapters that he doesn't make a mistake is when he doesn't kill the guy who is it's whose fault it is the, the head Claiborne. Guy. yeah, yeah the, the the client because he realizes that the client it was literally just it was one it was something he could understand it was essentially yeah. a rounding of a number or a clerical error almost not quite that but basically when this dude bought the contract to kill uh vanilla dom mm -hmm. vip guy yeah uh there was a clause in it that said hey for an extra 150 grand well, that's what parnell tells him yeah and parnell betrays uh fastbender's character by saying we'll have to figure this out get home we'll we'll take care of this but then he turns around to the client and says for $150,000 we can wipe away we can um uh you know clear the um clear the slate on this. Yeah. And but he, what clearing the slate means killing Fassbinder. But he didn't know <laughs> where he posits anyway he's like I didn't know what yeah. that meant yeah, like yeah. I was just doing it to like oh to ensure that my name yeah. wouldn't get back and he realizes in that moment that pure vengeance would be the mistake because they would still come after him. like it wouldn't, it he, wouldn't he even says before he gets to the the client he says the the value that someone places on finding the killer of a billionaire is way higher. is way higher than it would be for any of these other people. And he's like, and then you know he kind of looks at it and he goes, "Fuck it." And and but then he you know he makes the really intelligent choice there, which is that he he it almost like he does the Tyler Durden thing, which is like, uh, you know, what did you want to be with your life? Uh, a, veterinar a veterinarian, you know, I'll come back in a year. And if you're not on your way to become a veterinarian, he does the kind of the same thing with the client, which is like, he's like, look how easy it was for me to get in here. Let me assure you that if I have to come back, I will find a, I will find a fitting way to kill you. It might be poison. It might be radiation. It might be whatever, yeah. but I will find a way that's fitting. But that, and, and the, I would argue that that is the only chapter where he finally stops making interesting small mistakes. And right before he does that, he cashes out. Like he goes to the bank and he can't, and, yep. and we, and we even, I, I love this about David Fincher films as well, which is that like Fincher, I guess probably has gotten to a point in his career where he's not afraid of the little details. Yeah. So he's not afraid that the, you know, I, I, I don't know how they do it with him, but like, they are using a WeWork logo in this film. So they good. use an Amazon logo. They use McDonald's. They use Starbucks. That is something I did want to talk you about. You know, like I love that, like, and, and it doesn't feel like product placement because there's a kind of cynicism about those products. If if any of these companies yeah. paid to have their stuff in this movie, they made a marketing mistake. I because think, I don't think, maybe outside of Amazon, if you want to start copying uh, key cards, uh, I, 
every one of these things is seen, as you said, in the most like cynical, like garbage way. Like it's just this fucking ugly utility. Well, I, I think again, remember Fincher is a great ad man. He has made some of the great commercials. Like sure. I, again, I've copied uh, one of, he did a commercial for HP. Um, I saw that on the list. Yeah, that I have copied. And my it, point is no one's, I mean, obviously we work is dying, yeah. um, but like. And, and, and just so aptly, uses WeWork as a failed business. But he's not making he's not making WeWork or McDonald's or or Starbucks look sexy. He's he, he, it's he's, like the fabric of the world we live yeah. in, which is like this post-consumerist kind of, you know, like the only thing maybe Amazon he's painting it as a convenience app, but yeah. I don't know. But he's using it as a convenience app that he's going to use to like try and murder someone. Right. But convenience <laughs> yeah. is convenience. Yeah. And like the equinox of you know, Bell Equinox or whatever. Bell Equinox. Like, yeah. Oh you know? my gosh. I mean I, I enjoy lo- your workout. It's like there's this kind of sinister uh, fact that this character navigates the world, navigates a really, you know, technologically driven world with his phone with such care and precision. It's like well, these steps on a bunch of phones. Yeah, to 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 destroy them, you know, like so he, he keeps the uh, he keeps the SIM card but destroys the phone. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about the fact that this character navigates the world so well, you know, like he he knows how to deposit his money. He knows like how to get a taxi with the least him. You know, um, when he goes to the um, Dominican Republic taxi vendor, uh, even then he makes a choice, a conscious choice to help out the person he has kidnapped, who he has, he has tied up and robbed. Like he makes it look like the person got robbed uh, for no reason, you know, and doesn't hurt him. And he kind of like, he, he has this kind of like a way to make sure that he is both um, uh, intelligent about the, you know, about how he does things so that it doesn't draw too much attention to itself. Like he makes sure that like people are aware that this was like a failed robbery, not that he was there to get the name of the taxi driver. And, you know, and he even steals the taxi driver's like little stereo to make it seem like it was part of, that was part of the deal. But he also like then makes the decision to like kill that woman, uh, the, the secretary in a way that would help her, you know, like there's just this thing about him again, it's competency porn. It's whatever it is. I like to, I like, the game that the film plays of making you have to work out his inner thinking. Sure. And I, I and I like, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and mm. I think that stuff is, mm. is sort of interesting in its own right. There was just a mm. connective tissue somewhere sort of in it that I, I didn't get the same mileage, which again is yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I do think people should watch this movie and I think that people should sort of see what they can get out of it. Cause it seems like a lot of, especially critics mm. are, are really getting some, I was actually shocked. The, not that this means a goddamn thing, but the Rotten Tomatoes is, I think, is at 85 critics <laughs> and 59 audience, which does not feel right to me. Well, I, you know, again, I think last week during the Marvels, I said that mileage may vary on this. And I think the fact that it is a, it's a little bit of a downbeat end, you know, not downbeat. He, he succeeds, but he doesn't like go out in a blaze of glory. You know, like he doesn't kill the last person. He basically just points a gun at him and says, uh, if you make me come back, this will be worse for you. It's funny. It's almost intrinsic. It's almost flip flopped. So Marvels, I just looked at sixty two percent of critics and eighty three percent audience. Right. Yeah. So which is uh, crazy. My my. I guess my point is that you know Fincher, it has an unstereotypical ending for a movie about an assassin. I think the thing is, the, the so the bigger question here is, there is a machinery that would kowtow to the Amazons and the Starbucks and the McDonald's McDonald's WeWork kind of filmmaking that would make this more palatable. This is a guy who's kind of doing what is ostensibly could be a franchise movie, 
but in a way that's kind of interesting and has like an existential bent to it. Well, if, if Netflix owns this, you know there's going to be a killer too, whether or not Fincher is involved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they very well might be, but I think the thing that would be interesting is that it would be a completely different film. You know, like I, I can't imagine anyone coming back to this character. I like, it reminds me again of like when Scorsese did Shutter Island. You know, like that's a that's a filmmaker doing a genre piece, but like it's not like any other genre piece that you can probably imagine. Sure. Um, you know, the the illusions that the film has to uh, are somewhat in line with Jean-Pierre Melville's, you know, like the Sam Le Samurai or the Circle Rouge and, you know, like that sort of thing. But and and I think what I get out of this is going, man, I'm glad like there's a part of me that goes, this is Fincher's franchise film. And I'm glad that Fincher doesn't do franchise films sure. because this is what a real filmmaker does with that shit. You know, you know what? Like, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm comfortable mm-hmm. ending my opinions on that particular yeah. statement because I think it encompasses exactly how I feel. Yeah. Like I, but like, you know, like we watch a lot of bullshit franchise movies sure. on this podcast where we're just 100%. like, like, I don't give a shit about this. And you can see that they are like trying to hit a metric and it's like, you know, whatever. And this is like, a filmmaker who's doing, who's playing in that ballpark, but giving you something interesting with it. And I like, I'm, I'm here for that. You know, like I, I had a great time watching this. It is, it is dark. It is cynical. It is, uh, or what does he say? He says, people think, uh, empathy, uh, people confuse empathy with cynicism or something like that. I can't remember. Again, there's, (laughs) sorry. Now I do have one other thing. It's just, there's too many of those lines. I, I love it. It, it, I really, it because they just start not meaning anything, which yeah. again, I think is a, is a, what he's going for to get across the kind of intrinsic bullshit of this air quotes, perfect character. Yeah. I think that's what he's doing. I think it's very purposeful, but I did find it great. He was the, he was the, uh, he was a Colin Robinson of assassins. And I, <laughs> I, I was, I was just getting over it by the end. Yeah. Skepticism is often mistaken for cynicism. Yeah. I, I think it just reflects a worldview that maybe Fincher has. And I think the wrong thing would be to like, you know, be sitting in a empty, you know, there, there's a lot of men on TikTok or Instagram or what have you that have the kind of like 10 grams of protein approach to life, you know, kind of thing, or, you know, that, that would see a movie like this and take the wrong lessons out of it. I think, it is evident that there is like a cynical worldview to this that is kind of fun to watch and indulge in. And it's great to, you know, uh, I think you and I discussed this at some point. Fincher has this distinction that he makes between films and movies. He says sometimes, sometimes you want to make a film, which is the social network. Sometimes you want to make a movie like Gone Girl. Uh, And I think this is like in, in that spectrum, this is a movie and, and it, but, but his movies have more philosophy and more introspection about the way the world is than most people's, you know, straight up franchise. But I also, I also think that his are often misconstrued. Yeah, 100%. Because that meaning is not actually the words the character is saying. The meaning is the sum total of the points that is being shown through the character's narration and sort of what's happening in the film. And oftentimes, and I think for me, the reason why the mileage didn't hit is I found that exercise with this particular character a little long in the tooth. Yeah, I can I can um, buy that. Yeah. I can I can 100% buy that. I I it is it is uh you you're spending a lot of time in a misanthrope's head. And yeah, it's like yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like do you really want to be here? You yeah. know, I I can t- 100% see that. I again we I didn't found have Ed Norton to save us from <laughs> from just being the inside of the Yeah, head. yeah. There wasn't a clear split between Fassbender <laughs> and stuff. Who do you think would be uh who would outwit uh, each uh one another? This guy or John Wick? Who do you think would outwit the other? 
Oh, God. Um, <laughs> probably this guy. Yeah. Uh, John Wick. John Wick gets his ass kicked a decent amount and gets fairly lucky. Uh, I think if they got into a if they got into a mano a mano, I think John Wick would win. Because John Wick would win a physical altercation, but this dude is basically Batman. Well, yeah, because I, I think this dude is Batman would outthink John Wick. But the thing about John Wick is he's unkillable. No matter how many times you kill him, no matter how many times you shoot him, he just gets back well, up. You know? Yeah. Uh, I didn't see John Wick four. <laughs> well, this has been the only podcast about the film The Killer. Shahir, when you are not scrubbing underneath every fingernail to ensure that your DNA cannot be traced back to the McDonald's where you bought your 10 grams of protein. Where can folks find you? The terrible thing is I bite my nails. And it's like, <laughs> so I'm leaving my DNA everywhere. Great. I'm the most easily traceable person. And to do so, you could go to my website, www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-O-D. Or my company website, which is newly released, uh, you know, which showcases our work. It's a better example of like stuff I do. Uh, Suvanova.com. So that's S-U-V-A in OVA. Hey, if you want to hire Shahir, that's how you do it. Yeah. Or people I work with as well. We have a company. There you go. We, I'm not. It's not just me. <laughs> it's just you heard it here first. It's just Shahir. We approach your motion graphics, animation, commercials in the same way that Fassbender <laughs> buys 10 grams of protein. Put I don't that, know. Put that on the card. <laughs> that's the poll quote. Yeah. Uh, Matt, when you are uh, trying to figure out how you would fly from the Dominican Republic to New Orleans, where can people find you? You can find me recognizing the town in Jersey he goes to kill Tilda Swinton because I'd been there. <laughs> it's not Jersey. It's upstate New York. It was Connecticut. That was Connecticut? Yeah, I believe it was Connecticut. Oh, it was I, upstate New York. They might have filmed that in a town. There's a town. God, I blanked on it so hard. But we, I went there. I used to go there with uh, Mike Leonard back in the day. I've been on that main street. Yeah, okay. And I, and I could. they might have shot it in Jersey. Maybe I'm, you can find me being possibly wrong uh, on the internet. You Go check out Extra History. Uh, that's where you can find most of my life and works these days or extra credits on YouTube. Uh, I think by the time this airs, we'll be wrapping up our, um, little ice age series, which is a f fascinating look at sort of the first major climate change, uh, events that happened over the course of a couple hundred years for human history. You got and that little squirrel character in it? No. Oh, uh, not chasing the night. It's funny. We didn't do any actual ice age. Uh, <laughs> it's the little ice age. It's a baby. Little ice um, age jokes. Yeah. And then after that, uh, well, on the credit side, we'll be having out coming out soon uh, an episode that I'm really excited about. It's basically why you're lonely gaming. Why you are lonely when you game? Why you, why gamers are the most lonely group of people? Weirdly, if you sort of look at hobbies, that, yeah. especially hobbies that involve multiple people, yeah, uh, they are have the largest vat of loneliness. We look at a bunch of different uh, data, and we have we have a posited a possible solution for how to uh, fix that. So okay. uh, it's 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 a really good uh, a good episode that I'm very proud of. Um, next week, what we got. Is Thanksgiving week this weekend? So you, if you're listening to this, you've already stuffed your face with turkey. Yeah. Um, gobble, gobble. I hope it was delicious. What is your, what's your Thanksgiving movie? Have you got a Thanksgiving movie planned? Uh, there's Thanksgiving. Oh, the, the Eli film Roth Thanksgiving. Movie? No, I don't know. I no, I'm not. I have no idea. <laughs> Uh, but I don't I don't really watch. I mean, I don't not that I wouldn't watch a movie during this yeah. time, but this is never a moment in time where I'm like, oh, yes. Ah, my classic sit down moment of Thanksgiving time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, planes, trains and automobiles. I rewatch for just prior to Thanksgiving. I yeah, I don't know what I would watch. Uh, I do have a little bit of downtime. So hoping to watch something. But like I mean, 
Is it going to be Zodiac? It's probably going to be Zodiac. You're going to watch Zodiac? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to watch Zodiac uh, again. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do Zodiac next week. We should uh, do Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do have that we're trying to do. I'll sort of say oh, it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Abyss is getting, a well, obviously a 4K release along with True Lies and a couple other films, but yeah. uh, The Abyss is getting a one night only on December 6th. I love that movie. Um, oh. We're going to, it's been so long since I've seen it. Um, I have the alert set on my phone for when tickets go on sale. Okay. I'm going to try to catch it. You're way more organized than I am. I, I, because it's one fucking showing. Like, yeah, yeah. But, I, but, and we had the conversation about True Lies being a movie that mileage certainly varied between the two of us. I yeah. wonder if we should do True Lies as well. Haven't we done True Lies? No, we have not done True Lies. But we've talked about True Lies at length. I'm pretty uh, sure we've done True Lies. No, no. We have done, we've done Terminator 2. We've done Avatar 1 and 2. Um, have we done any other? Uh, we did aliens. Email us in. We have only, not done true lies. Only we podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. If we did do true lies, we have definitely talked about true lies, but we have not done it. On Are the, you sure? Yeah, I because I, it's funny. I, the Rolodex in my mind is all of the graphics. Yeah. And I can't think we of have a no, graphic was, for true lies. I, I would have made you Tia yeah, of course. Oh no, you would have made me Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Surely. Oh, I, maybe I'd make me Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. In, in, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Anyway, um, watch out for people uh, delivering Amazon packages near you uh, with bucket hats and egg McMuffins. That's all I got to say. And be very careful with the dosage that you give <laughs> Rottweilers in, in tainted sleep medication meat. Yeah, uh, tainted sleep medication meat. Yeah, that was, my, that was my prog rock band in college. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll talk at you next week when we definitely will talk to you about a movie. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>